All righty, uh, brothers and sisters in the faith, uh, welcome again to another episode of the Bible History Project. Today we're going to talk about Exodus 20, which is the giving of the Ten Commandments of the Father. So we are quite excited because we want to share with you what God has in stores for all of us. Remember, the Ten Commandments is still very relevant today, which is why I would like to begin our study today by asking you how many here have memorized the Ten Commandments. If I were to ask you, okay, Jenna give me commandment number four. What is that? What is your answer? Jenna's my daughter, by the way. She better know the answer, being the pastor's daughter. What is it? Huh? She said, I forgot, Dad. You know, a lot of us have probably taken for granted the Ten, the Ten Commandments because we say to ourselves, well, we live in the Christian era, and in the Christian era, we need no longer bother with the Ten Commandments. However, if we look closely to what the Ten Commandments has to teach us, it's still very relevant because it comes from God and it affects our life. And so when did God give the Ten Commandments to his people, Israel, through the leadership of Moses? Let's begin our studies in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 1. Then God gave the people all these instructions. Remember where we came from. Last week, we talked about Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the place where God revealed himself, thunder and lightning. And that's also the place when God gave the Ten Commandments. God, The Bible says God gave the people these instructions, which today people call the Ten Commandments. And so what is commandment number one? Exodus 20, two down to three. I am Yahuwah, your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And so the first command of God is, I am your God. Yahuwah is his name. And you must not have any other God but me. What do you call that commandment of God? It's a command about idolatry. You see, ever since the very beginning, the one sin that really provoked the anger of God, it is the sin of idolatry. What is the sin of idolatry? When we place our affection upon someone else that is greater than our affection upon who? Our almighty God. And when we go back to the people of Israel, they worshiped a lot of false gods, right? What are examples of these false gods that they eventually worship, which is why Yahuwah, our God, became very angry with them. How many here can recognize these false gods? One of them is Ashoreth. Ashtoreth. They recognize Ashtoreth. That's the first one. And we have Molech, who receives child sacrifices. And we have Baal, right? These are the false gods. Now, how many of you would worship an idol that looks like that you probably will say no way i will not worship anything that looks like that it looks like a monster but you know what these people worship these gods these false gods because of the benefits that they believe they can get from them as a matter of fact these three major gods in canaan where the people of israel are destined to go well there these three gods are known to be baal molech and ashtoreth the baal was known for what why were the people attracted to Baal? It's because they believed he was the god of weather, a god of power and financial success. 
Why did people worship Molech, even giving up their children to be sacrificed for him? Because they believed he was the god of financial prosperity for the family and future children. Well, how about Ashtoreth? She was known as the goddess of sex, romance, and reproduction. And so when you look at the people and why they're so attracted to these false gods, if you just take out the names, it sounds very similar in today's society, right? People are attracted to power, to money. People are attracted to romance and reproduction, sex, and all that. And so many people today are still guilty of idolatry. This is why even in the Christian era, this is what Yahushua HaMashiach says in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There are people today who, they, who worship and serve what they call the almighty dollar. right? And so they serve and worship the false god of mammon or money. There are people today who serve their own belly. And so everything they do, it is to satisfy their bodily desires. This is why Apostle Paul mentioned in the last days, people be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. This is why idolatry has been described by the Apostle Paul in the following way. Bible says you can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. And so if one is greedy, if one worships the things of this world, the things the world has to offer, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the Bible says they are guilty of idolatry. This is the first commandment of God. You shall have no other gods except our Father Yahuwah. Well, what is the second command? It's related to the first command. What is it? The book of Exodus 23 down to 4, you must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the sea. And so the Bible says we should not make anything with our hands that uh, create an image of our God. This is also called idolatry, creating an image. Does it mean it's wrong to have a picture of someone that you love? No. But if that picture of someone you love, you begin to worship, that becomes what? Idolatry. And so we should never use an idol or an image in any kind of worship. Why not? John 4, 24, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit. He does not have flesh and bones. And so what does God expect from his people? Acts 17, 28, 29. For in him we live and move and, and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. And so ever since the very beginning, God has said, do not ever think that God's essence can be ever represented by any kind of image designed by the imagination of men and turned into a design of gold, silver, or stone. We should never think God can be ever represented in that manner. So that's commandment number two. What's commandment number one? 
you shall have no other gods but me. Number two, you shall, shall not make an image of or an idol made of stone that represent our almighty God. Well, what is the warning of God if we were to make an image made of stone? If we were to make an idol that we use for worshiping God? For example, you're going to make a golden calf. Remember the golden calf story? Erecting a golden calf and using that to worship. If ever we do that, what is the warning of our father? In the book of Exodus 25 to 6, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, Yahuwah, your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations and those who love me and obey my commands. What is the warning of God if we are to worship other gods? The Bible says he will not tolerate this from his people. And so what will he do? The Bible says he will punish his people, including their families. The Bible says, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. What does that mean? Does that mean that the children who were not guilty of idolatry will be punished by God? No. God specifies those who are going to be punished. Who are they? Those who reject the Lord God. However, we cannot underestimate the influence of parents, right? Because if parents are engaged in idol worship, it's to be expected that their children will also engage in idol worship. This is why God wants us to teach religion to our children, to teach our kids concerning the commands of our almighty God. Because if not, well, they might wander around the, around the, the wrong path and be led away from our Father. So we have two commands so far. What is the third command of God? I think you know this one well. What is it? Exodus 20, verse 7, you must not misuse the name of Yahuwah, your God. Yahuwah will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. You know, when this command was given, what does that assume? That the people knew his name. And when it says you must not misuse the name, what does that suppose? What does that assume? That the people used his name. Because the command is do not misuse it. And so before the people of God used the name of God. Do we also use the name of God today? Absolutely. However, when we use the name of God, the Bible says do not misuse his name. Do not render the name of God in vain. And so how do we do that? I mean, who are guilty of people? Who are people guilty of breaking the third commandment of God. Well, it's through one of these five things. It can be broken through profanity, frivolity, hypocrisy, illegality, and triviality. You get that? What is profanity? Well, that's when you use the name of God in blasphemy and cursing. How about frivolity? When you, you use the name of God in a superficial or foolish way. How about hypocrisy? When you claim the name of God, but you act in ways that misrepresent him. Okay. How about illegality? When you claim that it's wrong to use the name of God, so you should not teach the name of God. You should cover the name of God. There are many people who are like that nowadays, right? 
And there's the sin of triviality. What is that? It's when people claim that knowing the name of God is not important. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It should not be relevant. And so when people have these different beliefs about the name of God, it renders the name of God desolate or it brings it in ruin. And so during the Christian era, what is the command of Yahushua HaMashiach himself concerning the name of the Father? In Matthew 6 verse 9, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, may your holy name be honored. What do we call God? We call him Father, okay? This is what Yahusha has taught us to do. And when Yahusha commanded his people to call God Father, they were absolutely shocked. Because how they could not conceive that God can actually be there. Father, but that's what Yahusha said. However, even though he is our father and we call him Abba or father, it doesn't mean we dishonor his name. Because the Bible says, may your holy name be honored. And so we praise his name. For example, you have a father, right? Your father is still alive. What do you call him? You probably call him dad or father or Abba or Ama, right? If you are from depending on which culture you belong to. However, it doesn't mean you don't know his name. You still honor his name. This is why even though we have a relationship with our God in such a way that we are now the sons and daughters of God, we still must praise and honor the name of the Father. And so if we will say we don't need to know the name of the Father, what are you doing to his name? Is that honoring his name or dishonoring his name? That's dishonoring his name. We need to honor his name. And we honor his name by praising his name, using his name, Yahuwah, our God. You know why? Because the mere fact that we mention the name Yahuwah, our God, we praise him. Because Yahuwah, our God, contains meaning that shows his power. In fact, if you, we read Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's the essence of the definition of the meaning of the word Yahuwah. And so when we say we praise your name, Yahuwah, we say to the people, we declare the biblical truth that God, whose name is Yahuwah, is Almighty. That he was, he is, he who he was, and he is to Come. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And so we should continue to praise and to give honor to the name of God, the name of Yahuwah. What's the fourth command? I think this command will be forever remembered by my daughter. Exodus 28 down to 11. Remember to observe. What does it say? The Sabbath day. By keeping it holy, you have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to Yahuwah your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, Yahuwah made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested, and that is why Yahuwah blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And so what is the fourth commandment of God's Ten Commandments? Fourth commandment, Jenna, is to observe the 
Sabbath day. How do you observe the Sabbath day? You set it apart as holy, a day where you rest. Now, when we look at this passage, when we look at this command of God, there's two principles. Two principles in this command of God that we need to observe and implement in our life. You know what they are? Number one, the principle of work. Hard work. God created us to work. Even before the fall, what was the purpose of Adam? What was the task given to him? It was to name all the animals, right? It was to basically dominate the entire earth. And so he had work to do, meaningful work. And so that's the one thing we need to understand. We need to work. We were made to work. This is why this is even more true after the fall, because we have been tasked that by the sweat of our brow, we are to eat bread. So we are to work. That's principle number one. What's number two? We need to replenish our souls. We need to find rest to replenish our soul, our spirit, and our body. And this is why we dedicate one day to full restoration by going to God and worshiping Him. That's the essence of the Sabbath day rest during the Christian era. How has this Sabbath day command transformed? Let's look first at what the Bible teaches in the book of Luke 6, 1 down to 5. On one Sabbath day, as Yahusha was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husks in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisee said, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Yahushua replied, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Yahushua added, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And so Yahushua is speaking to us during the Christian era because when the commandment was first given, to the people of Israel. Yahusha was still a plan of God, right? It wasn't fulfilled yet. He was not sent yet. And so it's pointing to Yahusha HaMashiach. When Yahusha finally came, he said, I am Lord. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. This is why we need to understand what the Sabbath points to. In Colossians 2, 6 to 16 to 17, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is that reality. And so according to Apostle Paul, the Sabbath that was given among the Ten Commandments, it was a shadow pointing to a reality. Who is that reality? Yahusha HaMashiach. And so he became the fulfillment of what the Old Testament, the Mos uh, laws of Moses, all the biblical figures, the events, everything that took place in the Old Testament, it was speaking of Yahusha. When Yahusha came, when the Christ finally came, then the reality, the substance of which was pointed to by the shadows of the Old Testament came to a reality. And so what does God instruct us to do during the Christian era? 
in the book of Hebrews 4, 8 to 11. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest because Joshua led the people of Israel to conquest the Canaanites, right? To enter the promised land. God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. And so even back, day, back during the Old Testament, God was speaking about a future day of rest. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God, as the people of Israel did, we will fall. And so what is God's instruction in the Christian era in relation to the Sabbath rest? We must look for the promised special rest that was prophesied, promised by Yahuwah. Who is that person? The source of our rest. In the book of Matthew 11, 28 to 30, Yahushua says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so Yahushua HaMashiach is Lord over the Sabbath because in him we find fulfillment of the Sabbath. Yahushua came not to destroy but to fulfill the law. And we fulfill that law when we go to Yahushua, the Christ, and find and enjoy his rest. This is why, as people of God, our day of rest is when we are with and one with Yahusha, the Christ. Well, how about Saturday, right? Because when it, said, when it speaks about Sabbath day, it speaks about Saturday. Because nowadays there are people who you know, tell you Saturday should be the day when we are to worship the Lord God, right? And they get that from the Sabbath day. And so we have the Sabbath day being the seventh day, right? And so Sunday is the first day. During the Christian era, did the people of God find significance on a day other than Saturday? Well, actually, yes. This is what it says in Mark 16, verse 9. After Yahushua rose from the dead early on Sunday morning. So Sunday must be a special day too. Right? Not a Saturday. What else? John 20, 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Yahusha was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And so he made a, an appearance with his disciples on a Sunday, not a Saturday. Right? Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, what day is that? Sunday. We gathered with the local believers to share the Lord's Supper. Paul was preaching to them. And since he was leaving the next day, he kept talking until midnight. That was a long Holy Supper. It was a long worship service. He spoke until midnight. That was the day, that was the day when Eutychus fell asleep, right? And fell off the window. But Apostle Paul was able to revive him back to life. Right? And so what day was that? Sunday. What else? 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money you have earned 
don't wait until I get there and then try to collect it all at once. So the giving of offering, monetar monetary contributions were collected on what day? First day of each week. And so the Bible emphasizes not just Saturday during the Old Testament, but in the Christian era, the Bible also mentions the first day of the week, which is the Lord's Day, which is a Sunday. However, we are not making any kind of teaching pertaining to special days. It's not about the day, whether Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday. It's not about the day. It's about the person. And who is that person? Yahusha HaMashiach. When we are with Yahusha, every day is a day of rest. This is the fulfillment of God's Sabbath. For six days, he worked with his hands to build and to create the universe and the earth, right? But with his heart, he worked to send his son to die on the cross and to resurrect him. And when that was fulfilled, the real Sabbath, the Sabbath, the eternal Sabbath for us is to be found in Yahusha HaMashiach. And so do we still obey the fourth commandment to observe the Sabbath? Absolutely. By finding rest in who? Yahusha HaMashiach. Okay. What is commandment number five? Honor your father and mother. Then you will live long, full life in the land Yahuwah your God is giving you. This is the fifth command, to honor your father and your mother. However, during the Christian era, there are people who are making excuses, finding reasons not to obey this command. For example, there are people who say, well, my parents don't belong to the same religion I belong to, so I no longer have to honor my father or mother. My father or mother belong to this church. I don't belong to that church. They belong to a Buddhist tradition now. So I should not love and honor my father and mother anymore. Is that what you should say? Because sometimes there are people who like to make their own teachings, right? They want to make their own traditions. Because my parents don't have the same faith I do, I no longer should have the responsibility to honor them. But this is what Yahusha said in the book of Matthew 15, 3 to 6. Yahusha answered, and why do you disobey God's command and follow your own teaching? This is why we have to make a distinction between God's command and human teaching. We need to make a distinction because if not, we can be deceived into thinking that one's teaching, one's invented teaching, is actually a command of God. What's the real command of God? For God said, respect your father and your mother. And if you curse your father or your mother, you are to be put to death. That's the command of God. What's a human teaching? But you teach, Yahushua says, that if people have something they could use to help their father or mother, but say, this belongs to God, they do not need to honor their father. In this way, you disregard God's command in order to follow your own teaching. Sometimes people come up with teachings which tell them because of this religious function, I do not need to honor father and mother anymore. And so they no longer respect father and mother because of a religious teaching. Yahusha says, that's a human command. That's not God's command. God's command is honor your father and your mother. And Apostle Paul emphasizes 
the uh, distinction of God's command to honor father and mother. In Ephesians 6, 2 to 3, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is nice, right, Brent? What's the promise? If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. Isn't that nice? This is God's fifth command. What's the next commandment of God? Let's read the book of Exodus 20, verse 13. You must not murder. That's a command of God. And there are people who look at this command and look at the Bible and say, doesn't it contradict itself? Doesn't God contradict himself? Because last week in the book of Exodus, didn't God just command his people to kill some people? Remember that? In Exodus 19, it says, mark off a boundary all around the mountain. Warn the people, be careful. Do not go up to the mountain or even touch its boundaries. Anyone who touches the mountain, what should happen to that person? Put to death. So God says, okay, if they touch the boundary, they should be put to death. And here God gives a command, you shall not murder. So how can we reconcile the two? Well, we need to understand the distinction between Killing and murder. Because in Hebrew and also in English, there's a distinction between kill and to murder. What is that distinction? As opposed to killing, murder is the taking of life without legal justification, execution after due process, or moral justification, killing in defense. And so there's a difference between killing and murder. Murder is when you kill for no reason at all, right? This is why the Bible says when you shall not murder, we should not take a life unless there's a reason for it that God has given us. Like what? Because of a legal justification after due process, of course. And also after, if you're defending your self, moral justifications. There are two justifications, legal and Moral. And so when God says you should not murder, it means you should not kill if there's no legal or moral justification. Okay. However, when Yahusha looked at this command, and when the New Testament looks at this command, Bible says if you even hate your brother, you are a murderer, right? Yahusha even extends that. I want to read here the book of Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Wow. In the Old Testament, you are, you are guilty of judgment if you murder, right? Killing for no good reason, without self-defense or moral justification or legal justification. Yahusha says, well, wait a minute. <laughs> In the Christian era, we have to understand the essence of the command of God. Because Yahusha is now telling us, if you are even angry with your brother or sister, you're guilty of murder. Even if you call your brother or sister, you fool. Have you said that before? You fool. <laughs> you could be in danger of hellfire. Wow. Not only that, 
Yahusha says, do not call each other Raka. As far as Yahusha is concerned, Raka is a bad word. Do you know what Raka means? What does it mean when you call each other Raka? Well, if you look at the Hebrew meaning, um, we find it here, Raka. There's the Hebrew word, or the Greek word rather, the, he the Greek word uh, G4469. And this is what Raka means. It means empty one, worthless. And so if you call a person, you good for nothing, how many of you have used that before? That phrase, you good for nothing. You're a worthless person. You know when you call someone worthless, as, as far as you is concerned, it is the equivalent of murder. You see how, how holiness that Yahusha teaches surpasses even the actual letter of the law? Because we have to understand not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. That's the command of God. You shall not murder. And so in our application for today, do not call each other raka. Okay? Do not say to each other, you're worthless. <laughs> because we are not worthless. Because we belong to Yahusha HaMashiach. What is the next command? Exodus 20, verse 14, you must not commit adultery. adultery. Is this applicable in the Christian era? Absolutely. Apostle Paul even says in Hebrews 13, 4, give honor to marriage. Remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. And so adultery is something we should never ever even think of because adultery destroys not only marriages but also families and so we must not we must never perform immoral sexual acts and always observe faithfulness to our spouse and yahusha he takes it another another degree further right what does he say about adultery matthew 5 27 to 28 you have heard the commandment it says you must not commit adultery but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So just even thinking lustfully about another person, one is guilty of idolatry. What's the next command of God? You must not steal. How many here know what the definition of stealing is? What does stealing mean? When you take something that doesn't belong to you, right? For example, some, in my bedroom, if someone goes into my bedroom and takes something that belongs to me without asking, what is that called? Stealing, Stealing right? When you take something that doesn't belong to you, belongs to someone else, that's stealing. So we don't do that. It's a command of God. Is it still applicable in the Christian era? Yeah. But you know, there are different kinds of stealing. Yeah. What is one kind of stealing? This is what it says in the book of Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not of your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What's the definition of stealing again? When you take something that belongs to someone else. What belongs to God? Who belongs to God? Us. We were bought with a price. How? By the shed blood of Yahusha HaMasiach. So as members of the church of Yahusha, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. Who, who owns us? 
God does. Yahusha does. And so how can we steal from God? How can we steal from Yahusha HaMashiach when we don't use our life to glorify Him? Right? Because we were bought for that purpose, to glorify Him. So if we don't use our body, if we don't use our spirit, in other words, if we don't use our life to glorify Him, it's like stealing or robbing from God. How also uh, do people rob from God? I think you know this verse, Malachi 3, 8 to 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says Jehovah Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. According to the prophet Malachi, how does one rob God when you don't give the tithe that belongs to him? Because in the Old Testament, when they gave offering, they were to give a tenth of their income, right? And if you were not able to give a tenth of your income, it's considered stealing or robbing who? God. How about in the Christian era? Does God require 10%? Do we still give offering to God in the Christian era? Yes, but we don't give a specified amount. What does the Bible say? You give according to your heart, right? This is why what we should never ever practice is to tell people, if you don't give your offering, we will not give you a lick to the worship service. That is absolutely wrong, right? I mean, I don't think anyone would ever do that. Tell their congregation, oh, you're late in your offering. We cannot give you a link to the next worship service. That is wrong. That is against the will of our almighty Father. Okay? What's the next command? Exodus 20, verse 16. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. Now, when people look at that command, they're probably thinking of people's court, or you're part of a jury, or maybe you're part of a a case and you're called in to give a witness, right? Oh, I'm not going to testify falsely against you, write a statement falsely about you. We should never do that because it's against the will of God. But how do people break this command of God that you must not testify falsely against your neighbor? There are several ways, too, that you break this command. And I got this quote. I don't know who exactly, um, who, who exactly was uh, the one who originally spoke this, but it's from the Blue Letter Bible. Slander, that's one way we break that command of God. What is slander? It's a lie invented and spread with intent to do harm. That is the worst form of injury a person can do to another. Compared to one who does this, a gangster is a gentleman. And the murderer is kind because he ends life in a moment with a stroke and with little pain. But the man, guilty of slander, ruins a reputation with, which may never be regained. And causes lifelong suffering. Isn't that true? Slander. May we never be guilty of slander. Because that's the work of the devil. And there's another way that we can break that command of God. Tailbearing. You know what tailbearing is? Have you heard of tailbearing before? What is that? It's repeating a report about a person without careful 
investigation. Guess what? We got to be careful you know, about what we post on the internet, what we spread to others. You heard this from this person. Wait a minute. Is that really true? Because many, many times people suffer doing that, right? To repeat a story which brings discredit and dishonor to another person without making sure of the facts is breaking this commandment. How many people, especially Christian people, revel in this? Do you know of any? <laughs> and delight, they delight in working havoc by telling tales about others to excuse the action by saying they believe that the report was true. Well, it's true. I thought it was true. Or that there was no intention to malign. But that's no justification. It's called tail-bearing. We have slander, tail-bearing. There's another way. We can become guilty of the command of God that we should not be false witnesses. What is that? The last one is silence. You know, inappropriate silence. When someone utters a falsity about another and the third person is present who knows the statement to be untrue, but for reasons of fear or being disliked, remains quiet. That third person is as guilty of breaking this law as if he had told a lie. You see, the purpose of God in these commands is to protect people. Because God loves people. And when a person's reputation is being harmed, God doesn't like that. This is why he gave the command, do not become a false witness. Do not slander. Do not... Uh, Engage in tail-bearing, and do not remain silent if it can help your fellow man. Okay, so these are the commands that God has given us. What is um, the last command of God? Tenth command, commandment number 10. Here it is. Exodus 20, verse 17. You must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. So what does it mean to covet? Does that mean basically to want what somebody else has? So much so that you will break the other commands of God to get it. Right? Covet. And the Bible says we should not covet. What's the solution to not coveting? Yeah. Hebrews 13 verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. So in the Christian era, God says, do not covet, right? It's the 10th commandment. Do not covet. What's the solution? It says here, be, be content with such things as you have. You're not always watching what the neighbors have. The neighbors have this nice toy. I want to get that toy. Neighbors have a new car. I want to get a new car. Neighbors have a lot of dogs. I want to get dogs too. Covetousness. Bible says, be content. Well, how can we be content? Bible says, for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, we don't have to covet because we should find our contentment in Yahuwah, our God himself. Okay? So that we can find complete satisfaction with our Life And so what does Yahusha remind us about our life so that we are not in danger of coveting? 12.15, and he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Bible says, do not 
do not think that your life is about how many possessions you have because when a person dies, the possessions don't go with him, right? And so if you really want to be rich, be rich in what? Good works. Because your works follow you in the grave because it becomes a foundation when it comes to the life that is to come. So those are the Ten Commandments of God. And after God gave the Ten Commandments, what happened to the people? Exodus 20, 18 to 19, when the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. <laughs> they were afraid. The people were afraid. They were trembling in fear. And there was a, re a reason for that. What was that reason? Exodus 20, 21, Moses says, don't be afraid. Moses answered them, for God has come in this way to test you. And here's the reason. So that your fear of him will keep you from Sinning, as the people stood in the distance, Moses approached the dark cloud where God was. And so Moses gave an explanation for why God displayed all that. What is that? It's so that the fear that they have of God will keep them from sinning, right? But for the people of Israel, it didn't work too well, right? Because you know why? Because fear fades, okay? In the beginning, they obeyed the command of God, but eventually they forget the command of God. In just a matter of days. You know what the people of Israel did? They created a golden calf. Can you imagine that? After witnessing all this, they created a golden calf. Perhaps Yahuwah God saw that event. This is why he told and reminded Moses of the following, 20, 20, 22, 23. And Yahuwah said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, you saw for yourselves that I spoke to you from heaven. Remember, you must not make any idols of silver or gold to rival me. And what did they do? About 40 days later, what did they do? Build a golden calf. And they worship that calf. You see how stubborn people are? You might say, I'll never be like that, but let's look at our life. You know, this pandemic is taking place right now, and all of us are all ears, right? We want to learn what God has to say. Well, how about a month from now? How about two months from now? How about a year from now? When we're past all this, are we still going to be listening to what God has to say? You see, there's something that should motivate us to obey God. What is that? should not be fear. It should be what? Love. You see, if you obey God because of love, you will obey God always. But if you obey God because of fear, fear will fade. But love is everlasting. This is why, brethren, we need to understand the holiness of God. Its purpose is to show us love because he was the one who, because of his holiness, showed us how great the act of love that he showed us. Because of his holiness, sin is, it's so hard to attain holiness, right? But even though God is up here and we're down here, he gave up his own son so that we can be with him because of his love. And so his demonstration of love should inspire us to love him also so that we can obey him because of our love 
not because we're afraid of our almighty God. And so what does God command Moses to do? 24, build for me an altar made of earth and offer your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings and peace offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Build my altar wherever I cause my name to be. Remember, and I will come to you and bless you. And so Yahuwah knows eventually people will stop remembering his name. But you know, Yahuwah says, wherever my name is caused to be remembered, I will come to them and bless them. What did God say to Moses? Build an altar. What does that represent? What is that for? It's for worship. God wants our worship. We worship God because we love him. It's what we want to do for him. Worship him in spirit and in truth. And so God tells Moses, build me an altar. But how does God instruct him to build that altar? Let's read the final uh, verses in Exodus 20. If you make an altar of stone for me, do not build it out of cut stones. Because when you use a chisel on stones, you make them unfit for my use. Do not build an altar for me with steps leading up to it. If you do, you will expose yourselves as you go up the steps. Yeah. And so when we look at uh, God's design for an altar, it's not anything fancy, right? It has to be made of uncut stone. Because if you were to cut the stone, guess what? It's no longer fit for his use. He wants something uncut, natural stone. So it's not an elaborate and ornate uh, structure that he wants built. Something simple. Right? And God wants us to worship him in spirit and truth. This is why he doesn't want steps leading up to it. Because the priest's knees will be exposed. And people don't want, he doesn't want the uh, presence of flesh. He has to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. So those are the Ten Commandments of God. What are they again? Okay, there they are. What's the first command? You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And as we read through these commands, ask yourself if you're able to obey them. Just ask yourself, okay? First one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make an idol for yourself. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of Yahuwah your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and your mother. Number six, you shall not murder. Number seven, you shall not commit adultery. Number eight, you shall not steal. Number nine, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Number 10, you shall not covet. That's the Ten Commandments from the Holy Scriptures. I'm going to show you another Ten Commandments. Okay? Is that okay if I show you another Ten Commandments? Here it is. I want, I want you to look at the both and compare both. And let, let me know if you know the difference. What's the difference? The one on the left, the one on the left is the Catholic version of the Ten Commandments. Okay. You notice the difference? Yeah. The commandment number two on the right, they have removed. This is why on the left, the Catholic version of the Ten Commandments. Commandment number two is, you shall not take the name of Yahuwah, our God, in vain. Notice that? So they removed commandment number two. And so if you re remove one commandment to keep it 10, you have to add another one, 
right? <laughs> to keep it 10. Otherwise, it would only be nine. And so what do they add? Yeah. They took commandment number 10, which says you shall not covet, but they split it into two commands. Commandment number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And then number uh, 10, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. Okay, so they divided uh, the two commandments. Either way, I wonder why. It's probably to, maybe they were sensitive to making images or something like that, right? Either way, Yahusha himself, uh, you know, he referred to the Ten Commandments and the laws of Moses, but he summarized it into two commands, remember? Orders to commence. In Matthew 22, 37 to 40, Yahusha answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. Second most important commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The whole law of Moses and the teachings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. And so to make life easier, Yahusha says, you know, the commandments of Moses can be summarized into two. The first and greatest and the second that's like it. What is that? First commandment, love your God with all of your heart, soul, and with all of your mind. That's the first command. It's the greatest command. And when you look at that, love your God, it corresponds to the first four commands. Doesn't it? Right? What's commandment number two? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And it corresponds to the rest of the commands. Because if you love your neighbor, you're not going to covet his goods. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal from him. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery. Right? If you love your neighbor, you're not going to murder him. And so the, two, the Ten Commandments are summed up in two commands. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so bottom line is the supremacy of the command of Love. Love and the command to love God and to love others as we love ourselves. That is really the focus. And that should be what we endeavor to achieve. Loving God and loving our fellow men. Now, having said that, do we disregard the Ten Commandments? Do we shelve the Ten Commandments of God that he gave to Moses? I don't think so. Because this is what Yahushua said. In Matthew 5, 17 to 19, please read, read this well. Don't misunderstand why I have come. It's Yahusha. Just in case there are people who misunderstand and think we are abolishing the Ten Commandments. Yahusha says, I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them, he will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so is Yahushua telling us to disregard the Ten Commandments? No. He even tells us if we disregard even the least of the Ten Commandments and we teach others to do the same or the least in the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand the essence of the commandments of God. We must practice it, loving God and loving our fellow men. However, if we want to even enter the kingdom of heaven, Yahushua tells something interesting here. 
And I want you to look at this verse. And after I read this verse, let me know how you feel. Okay? Because you might be shocked a little bit. Because we all want to be saved. We all want to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Yahushua says in verse uh, 20. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. When you look at Matthew chapter 5 in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5 is about Yahushua's interpretation of the Ten Commandments. And then he criticizes the Pharisees. And then he speaks to his disciples and tells them, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the Pharisees, you cannot even enter the kingdom of heaven. And so when we look at Yahushua's interpretation of the Ten Commandments, is it easier or more difficult? Because Yahushua says, even if you look at a woman in lust, you're as adultery. Even if you say raka or foolish one, you're guilty of murder. And so it's going to be very, and at the bottom it says, love and pray for your enemies, then you'll become perfect. When you're able to practice all that according to the teaching of Yahushua, then we will be perfect and our righteousness will be better than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Here's a question. Raise your hand if you have a righteousness that's higher or greater than the righteousness of the Pharisees. Any of us claim that we have that kind of righteousness? There's really only one person who was able to do all that. Who is that one person? Yahusha HaMashiach. None of us can even come close. Right? Yahusha is teaching us. Unless we become perfect, we cannot be saved. However, we can never be perfect. We cannot. But there's a plan. God knows this. And so what did he do? What did Yahusha HaMashiach do? Ephesians 2, 14 and 16. For he himself is our peace. For, he, for who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. How many here know this passage and have heard about this passage before? We read this all the time, right? We talk about it all the time. What did Yahushua do so that we can be saved? He created in himself the one new man. What's the composition of the one new man? One head, one body. Who's the head? Yahushua. What's his body? The church. We know this verse. But when we read this passage, did we explain what it meant when the Apostle Paul says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity? What is the enmity? That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances? What is enmity, by the way? It's a condition of hostility, the separating wall between God and man, right? Apostle Paul says that enmity is from the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Why? Because if there was no law, there would be no sin. You get that? Because there is a law, if one breaks the law, what do you call that? 
sin. The result is enmity, separation from God, punishment and judgment. However, there's a solution to that. What is that? Bible says Yahusha created in himself the one new man. Remember, there's only one person who has no enmity in him. There's only one person who was able to perfectly obey all the law of God's commands. The one person who was able to perfect, perfectly match the holiness of God. Who was that? Yahusha. And so for us to be saved without violating the law of God, we have to be one with Yahusha. Did God know that's impossible for us to complete and obey all of the command of God? Yeah. This is why in Romans 8, uh, 3, this is what it says. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. God knows that. So what did God do? So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. What a beautiful passage, Romans 8.3. You know in that passage, do you know what that shows us about God? It shows us two things about God. Number one, it shows us the holiness of God. And number two, it shows us the love of God. Do you see that in the passage? Because of the holiness of God, we human beings, we cannot even belong to the same level. It is impossible for, our, for us because of our weakness to achieve perfect holiness in the sight of God. You see that? Because of God's holiness. None of us can reach the holiness of God. Because of how holy he is, we see the holiness of God. And this was revealed to us when the law was given out. So the purpose of the law is to show that how we are sinners. But at the same time, God's love comes through. Why? Because of his love, what did he do? He sent his son so that he can be a sacrifice for our sins. You see, according to the law, if there is sin, it has to be death. Right? This is why... The son had to die for the sins that people might be saved. Does it mean we disregard the commands of God? Oh, no. We read verse 3. God gave us his son to die on the cross for our sins. But let's not forget verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. The law is still applicable. This is why Yahushua said, I did not come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And so when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the law, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. And so Apostle Paul tells us there's a requirement of the law. And the requirement is one has to die for sin. And so what do we need to do? We need to be one with the one who died for sin. Who is that one? Yahusha HaMashiach. But it doesn't mean we no longer have to do anything. What is our duty? We need to live and follow the Spirit. Okay? That's our duty now. Why? Because we're one with Yahusha. How did we become one with Yahusha? You might be asking. Let's find out. Romans 7 verse 1. Certainly, you will understand what I'm about to say, my friends, because all of you know about law. The law rules over people only as they live. I want to pause it for a while. If we're all dead, does the law still apply to us? Huh? 
No more. If, for example, someone goes to the school and starts shooting and he kills himself, the law says he has to go to jail. But if he's already dead, are they still going to take him to jail? No more. The law no longer applies if you die. God's law is like the same way. Bible says the law rules over people only as they live. That is how it is with you, my friends. As far as the law is concerned, the law of Moses, Ten Commandments, you also have died because you are a part of the body of Christ. And now you belong to him who was raised from death in order that we might be useful in the service of God. For when we lived according to our human nature, the sinful desires steered up by the law were at work in our bodies, and all we, die, all we did ended in death. Now, however, we are free from the law because we died to that which once held us prisoners. No longer do we serve in the old way of a written law, but in a new way of the Spirit. We died. And so when we died, we are free of the law. You might be saying, wait a minute, brother, when did we die? When did we die? So that we are free from the law. So that we have a new way to live, which is according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. By our baptism then, we were buried with him and shared his death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from death by the glorious power of the Father, so also we might live a new life. How did we die? So that the law no longer applies to us. The Bible says, when we shared in the death of Yahusha HaMashiach. How so? When we were baptized. This is why Apostle Paul said, right? The enmity contained in the law ordinances that was abolished. What does that mean? The law showed the holiness of God. And it also showed how far we are to meet the requirement of holiness. And so what did God do? He gave up his son to die. To satisfy the law. And if we are one with him in death, we too, we too have been set free from the law. This is why there's a need for us to be baptized. Baptized into union in the death of Yahushua HaMashiach. So that we can experience the love that God had planned, planned all along. The holiness and the love of God, they go together. The love of Moses and the law of grace and grace, they go together. One cannot exist without the other. This is why, brethren, we need to live a new life. We need to live according to the Spirit as people of God. So when people tell you we don't need the Ten Commandments, don't believe that. We do. Let us do our best to live according to the life taught to us by God through the Ten Commandments. But now we do it because we are led by the Spirit of our God. Okay? All right. That's our lesson, but before we go, let's go to our mailbox. Yeah. We only have one question in our mailbox, and here it is. Here it is. Uh, somebody uh, messaged me. Humanap ka ng talata na nagpapaliwanag, huwag galing sa'yo, not for me. Halimbawa, ang nasa labas ng iglesia ay maliligtas. First of all, did we ever teach that those who are outside the church are going to be saved. We never taught that. We need to be in the church to be saved. Why? Because that's the body of Yahusha. 
And if you're not in the body of Yahushua, then you're not one with him. Then you have to pay for your own sins. You're going to be judged according to the law. But if you're in the body of Yahushua, then Yahushua pays for your sins, right? And you are one with his death. So we never preached that. We never said that you must leave the church. We never left the church. And so a person is asking, yung nasa labas ng iglesia, those who are outside the church, will they be saved? <laughs> That's The question is, did we ever teach that? We never taught that. And we, in relation to that, um, I guess there's a, a bit of confusion. It's funny how all things kind of like connect. Because it says here, Kuya, calls me Kuya. <laughs> this person is, I believe, older than me, but calls me Kuya. Kuya, may tanong po ako, tinatanong daw po ng isang nisko kung iglesia pa ako. Because this person is still listed in the INC, right? But he's listening to us and worshiping with us and doing everything with us. Uh, kung iglesia pa ako dahil nakikinig kami sa inyo, uh, ano po kaya ang magandang sagot? So this person is asking for what can we say uh, to people who say, are we still members of the church? Yes, but we have to make a distinction between the church and the institution, right? What's the church? That's the body of Yahusha. So we need to know what does it mean? What does it mean to be a member of the church of Yahusha, the church of Christ? What does that actually mean? Well, first of all, how does one become? a member of the church of Yahushua. In the book of John 10, 9, 16, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. How does one become a member of the church that belongs to the Christ or to Yahushua? We need to enter in him into the flock, which is the church. That's how you do it. Well, how do you enter through Christ, who is the door to his flock, the flock being the church? You first listen to his voice. Right? So when we listen to that voice, which represents the teachings of Yahusha preached by his messengers, what happens to us? We become members of his church. What's the process like? We receive baptism. And so when we become members of the true church that belongs to Yahusha, we are baptized into fellowship with the body of Yahusha. That's how you become a member of the church of Yahusha. However, question is, are you still a member of Yahusha? Well, I am because look at my name card, right? I have a name card that says I'm listed in this local. I have a name card that says I'm listed in the registry here on earth. Therefore, I am a member of the church of belongs to Yahushua. Wait a minute. Is that what the Bible teaches? According to the Bible, how does one remain in the church? We read John 10, 9, and 16 to teach us how we can be in the church in the first place. Now, how do you remain inside the church? John 10, 27, 28. My sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me and i give them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand we know how to how we can become members of the church of yahusha but how do you remain a member of the church of yahusha by listening to his voice so that we can follow him if we got baptized into the church and all of a sudden another voice shows up 
and we follow that voice instead of the voice of Yahusha. Are we still members of the church? No more. Well, what if you say, I'm still listed. I have my name card. It's not about the name card. It's about who? It's about Yahusha. It's about who you're following. How can we know if we are still members of the church of Yahusha? If we are able to follow the voice of Yahusha. That's how you know. It's not the name card. The name card will not save you. It's Yahusha who's going to save you. And for Yahusha to save us, we need to follow the voice of Yahusha. This is why we need to remember this principle, brethren. True membership in the body of Yahusha the Christ is not institution-based, but Christ-based. You remain a member of his body if you follow his voice. Here's the question. How can we follow his voice now? Right? Don't you wish that Yahusha can just come out, come down from heaven and tell us what he wants us to do? Right? Because he went to heaven and he's still in heaven, but we want to know what he has for us now. Well, you know what? He actually did that. Even though he's in heaven, through the spirit, you know what he has done? He has made his voice heard. And so what do we need to do? We need to follow that voice. You want to know how? Revelation 1, 10 to 11. Who's the one speaking here? Apostle John, right? He's writing the last book of the Bible. It's called Revelation. On the last day I was in, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. To Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can we still hear the voice of Yahusha so that we can remain in his church? Yes! Because even after he went to heaven, he gave a message, a very detailed message to the church. And this is what we want to know, right? Because we want to keep our membership. We want to protect and preserve our salvation. So what we need to do is know the voice of Yahusha, what he tells us to do. This is why the Bible says, let him hear. If you have ear, let him hear. What Yahusha through the Spirit has to say to each and every one of us today. You want to know? What Yahusha has to say to all of us today, this is a good way to test ourselves to see whether or not we are still in the church. How? We're going, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, because Revelation chapter 2 and 3, if you have time tonight, read Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, because it contains the voice, the voice of Yahusha, the voice of Christ. Remember, for us to remain in his church, we have to keep following his voice. And chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation tells us his voice so that we can remain in his church. Okay? Now, we're not going to read chapter 2 and 3 today, but I kind of summarized it. And when I was looking through uh, chapter 2 and 3, right, to find out the voice of Yahusha for his church, it came out to 20 commandments. Is it okay if I tell you what those are? The 20 commandments that Yahusha gave to his church so that they can remain worthy of salvation. This is commandment number one. Work hard. Can't be lazy. Work hard. That's according to Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. Number two, be patient. Because sometimes you work hard and you don't see results right away. You kind of 
don't want to work hard anymore. So be patient. That's Revelation 2, 2 as well. Number three, do not tolerate evil people. Revelation 2, 2. Just because they are religious leaders, Yahushua was really specific. When you read the context of Revelation 2, 2, it's talking about religious people, religious leaders, religious teachers. So if they are doing things against the will of God, do not tolerate evil people. Because nowadays, especially with what's happening now, there are people who tolerate wickedness because they say to themselves, well, I don't want to get offended. Yahushua says, no, you, got, you cannot tolerate wickedness. You cannot tolerate evil people. Commandment number four, test all religious people. For some reason, if you read Revelation 2 and Revelation 3, it talks about testing and making sure that what people are teaching is in line with what Yahuwah, our God, actually teaches. Test them all, including me, including us. Test what we say. These commandments I'm giving you, go tonight and look it up. Look it up. Because I'm not making this up. These are the commands that came from Yahusha himself. Okay? And number four, test all religious people. Number five, reject religious teachers who lie. So if you know a religious preacher or a minister who practices deception, right, who practices lies, don't ever listen to them again. Don't. Run away as far as you can. Okay? That's according to Revelation 2.3 or Revelation 3.9. Number six, Yahusha says, suffer for the sake of... Yahusha, because we have to be willing to partake in his suffering, Revelation 2, 3. Number seven, do not give up when you have a little power because of oppression, Revelation 2, 3, Revelation 3, 8. Sometimes because of circumstances, there are people who don't like what we're doing. What will they do? They will use their power and influence against us to, to bring pressure against us. It's nothing new. It's to be expected. People of God, followers of Yahusha are going to be persecuted. And so Yahushua tells us, do not give up even when you have little power compared to the one oppressing you. Okay, that's number seven. Number eight, turn from your sins. Wake up, repent, and do what we were taught. Revelation 2, 4, 31 to 3, 18 to 9. This was heavily emphasized by Yahushua. We need to maintain our holiness. We need to repent and renew our life. That's a big part. So brethren, eight, remember number eight. Number nine, increase our love for Yahuwah and Yahusha. If we love them before, we should love them even more now. Our love for God, our love for His Son should grow. It should abound. It doesn't go weaker. It should grow. Number 10, be rich in good works like love and service and abound in it. And so Yahusha was talking about being rich in good works. And this is in Revelation 2, 9, 19, Revelation 3, 18. And so it's about service, right? It's about your service towards others. It's about working towards the betterment of our fellow men. And so be rich in good works. That's commandment number 10. Number 11, endure slander and persecution. If you read Revelation 2.9, Yahushua warns us there will be people who are going to speak falsely against you, slander you, and persecute you. It's going to happen. Endure that, Yahushua says. Number 12, be faithful to Yahushua in suffering and threat of death. And so there'll be death threats. We're not surprised if we get death threats every, every once in a while because it's part of what we can expect if we are true followers of Yahushua HaMashiach. They will cause you to suffer. They will cause you, they will threaten you with death. But be faithful to Yahushua. Number 13, do not follow the teaching of Balaam by allowing yourselves 
to be persuaded into doing what is wrong in God's sight. And so Yahushua goes on to tell us about Balaam. And he's telling the people, he's telling us that we should not be persuaded to do what is wrong because people make it appear that what we're doing that's wrong is good. You know, sometimes when you are a religious leader and you have followers, you can tell someone to do what is wrong and you say, this is God's will, right? Ito ang... Ang naglagay ng Diyos ay ang naglagay ng Diyos sa akin. Ang Diyos ang naglagay ng Diyos sa akin. Uh, ang Diyos ang naglagay sa akin. God placed me here. So whatever I say, you must follow. <laughs> you know? And so Yahushua says, no, be careful. Because many religious people are going to try and persuade you to do what is wrong by making it appear to be God's will. That's the way of Balaam. Yahushua says, do not Allow yourselves to be persuaded into doing what is wrong. Number 14, do not follow the teachings of the Nicolaitans by allowing yourselves to be ruled by oppressive religious rulers. And so, brethren, if we have religious leaders who will say to us, for example, during this pandemic when worship is online, if they will tell you, if you don't give your offering, you're not, we're not going to give you a worship service link. That's using oppression. That's the way of the Nicolaitans. If you have religious leaders who are like that, leave that organization. That's not of God. That's not of God. Because the people of God do not oppress their members. They do not use their authority to, to control their members. That's the way of the Nicolaitans. Bible says, do not let them, do not let, do allow yourselves to be ruled by oppressive religious leaders. Number 15, do not tolerate Jezebel by rejecting idolatry practices or practice by the people who call themselves messengers of God. I mean, there are, it's so easy to disguise idolatry. So easy. People make the claim, well, I am from God. God appointed me, therefore do this, do that. Be careful with idolatry that is being proposed, that's being implemented under the guise of something else. We need to know what true idolatry is. What's 16? Hold on to and keep safe what we have by obeying Yahusha until the very end. Hold on. Do not give up. Revelation 2, 25 and Revelation 3, 11. 17, avoid hypocrisy by focusing on cleaning up your reputation, but not your spiritual life. You should read uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 about that. Yahusha is telling them, you know, you... You are so worried about your reputation, but your inner self is already dead. There are people who are like that. It's all about the media. The media, they want to, make, they want to appear to be good. Everything is well. Everything's fine, right? They're so good and righteous through the media. But inwardly, it's not good. Yahushua says, uh, avoid any kind of hypocrisy. Number 18, be faithful to Yahushua by rejecting the claims of people who say they hold the key. To salvation. And Yahusha even says they will say to you that they have the power to, to close and to open. And so they use that as a tactic to try and control you. When you have religious leaders who claim that they have the key to salvation, for example, they will tell you that they have the power to erase your name in the book of life, run away from that organization. That is not from Yahusha, because Yahusha says, I have the key 
not you. The one who has the key is Yahusha. And so we must be faithful to him. And so be faithful to Yahusha by rejecting the claims of people who say they hold the key to salvation. Read Revelation chapter 3 and the verses 8. 19, keep the command to endure. Yahusha says, my command to you is endure. And so we need to understand that during the last days, we're going to face many tribulations. We have to endure until the end. And finally, Revelation, uh, the last one, do not be lukewarm in your services to God. Revelation chapter 3 and the verses 16. This is the voice of Yahusha, his message to his church, which is applicable for all of us today. It's something that we need to implement in our life. And so after giving this, this message, what does Yahusha tell us? After he gave all of these commands, in the very last parts of Revelation 3, 320 to 22, Yahushua says, listen, I stand at the door and knock. If any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into their house and eat with them. And they will eat with me. To those who win the victory, I will give the right to sit beside me on my throne. Just as I give, just as I have been victorious and now sit by my father on his throne. If you have ears, then listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. You want to know if you're still a member of the church of Yahusha? Ask yourselves, am I following the voice of Yahusha? Because if we have chosen to follow a different voice, a voice that says it's okay to hate, it's okay to reject your family. If you follow a voice that requires you to give ad adoration to a man here on earth, that's no longer the church that belongs to Yahusha. Follow the voice of Yahusha. He is your king. He is your king because he was appointed by God to be our king. And so we want to make sure that we remain in his church. Listen to his voice, not anyone else's voice. Because after all, we belong to him. How can we say we belong to the church of Yahusha when the one we're following is not Yahusha? Right? How can we say we are members of the church of Christ when the one we're following is not Christ? But someone else. You'll be the church of that someone that you're following. We follow the church of Yahusha, HaMashiach, Yahusha, the Christ. And so by following him, we can receive his promise. And that promise says, no one can snatch you away from my hands and from my father's hands. And I will give you everlasting life. Okay? That is our lesson. Let us all stand, brethren, and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Yahuwah, our God, thank you for giving us your commands. Yes. We know, Father, that your purpose is to protect us. Yes. You want our life to be well. Yes. You want us to prosper. Amen. Thank you so much for giving us your commands, yes. your laws, and your ordinances. Yes. We can see from them that you are a holy God. Yes, oh Father. And that it is beyond our ability to match your holiness. Amen. But we also know that you are a God of love. Yes, and by your love, you have sent your son yes. that we can be like him, yes. that we can be with him, be one with him to receive your promised salvation. Amen. Thank you for the fulfillment of your plan. Yes. Thank you for we can see you face to face soon yes. when you will send your son that we can live in your eternal home. Amen. Help us to endure. And help us to remain yes. in fellowship with you and your son. Amen. Our Lord Yahusha, thank you so much. Yes, Lord.
we hear your voice. Yes. Yes. Speak to us, O oh Lord. Yes. Speak to our hearts. We have received your message. Yes. The message to your church. Yes. We want to remain inside your church. And so we yes. will follow you. Yes. You will be our only king. Yes, oh Lord. Because you are only mediator to the Father. Amen. Oh God, thank you so much for listening to our prayers. Yes. May you bless each and every one of us today. Yes. We ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha Amashiach. Amen. Amen.